please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In this church community, we talk about different names and images for God. Some of us see God as divine creator. Some of us see God as an elusive spirit. Some of us relate most strongly to the image or name of Christ. Some see God more as an abstract energy. One common image or understanding of God is that God is someone that God is one who we can have a relationship with, even an intimate relationship. Today's readings from scripture both support that idea, that God is someone who we can have a relationship with, and even an intimate relationship. Both scripture readings suggest that God is very close to us, that God is involved. This sense of God's closeness is one of the most important beliefs I hold, but it does raise questions. Our reading from Revelation today says that God makes God's home among mortals, that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Can you imagine God being that close to you? Can you imagine God being the one to tenderly reach out and wipe those tears that flow from your eyes? God showing love with that tenderness. We also see God this close up in today's gospel reading. And not only close, we see God close and embodied. Christian tradition tells us that God decided to come and spend time among us, living as we do, living in a body, with all the risk and mess and complications that involves. Christian tradition tells us that Jesus is the one who embodied God in this way. And today's gospel reading is a story about Jesus. Our story opens with Jesus getting the news that a friend is ill, his friend Lazarus. But Jesus delays in responding, and Lazarus dies. And Jesus goes to where he is, goes to his sisters, Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sister Mary is grieving, and her community grieves along with her. It seems that Jesus also grieved the loss of his friend, but what the text specifically says is that it was when Jesus saw his other friends weeping, Mary and whoever else was there, that was what moved Jesus. That is what the scripture says disturbed Jesus. And if we as Christians believe that Jesus' life was in fact God's time of choosing to live a bodily human life among us, then surely we must believe that God is moved by what we feel. God looked out through the eyes of Jesus and saw people crying and mourning, and God was moved. That's how it works today, too. God witnesses when you cry in grief over a loss, and God's own heart is touched by you. God sees you at your most afraid, your most insecure, your most irrational, your angriest. 
God accompanies you in moments of despair. And God's own heart is touched to know what you are going through, to know how it hits you. We know this because scripture tells us so. And I imagine it works the other way too, that when you laugh from joy or delight, it brings a smile to God's own face. Our compassionate God shows up in our midst and is moved by our feelings, our experience. And God weeps or rejoices along with us. It is a powerful piece of our Christian theology, but it does raise questions. As we listen in on Martha's conversation with Jesus, we find that faith and disappointment and skepticism are all woven together. Isn't that often true for us too? Martha questioned Jesus. She says, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Later, the other sister, Mary, says the same thing. They are essentially asking, why weren't you there? You could have kept our brother from dying. Their voices echo down through the centuries, and their question echoes our own questions. God, why weren't you there? When the floods swept people away in Utah, when the avalanches tumbled down in Afghanistan, why weren't you there when the shooter walked into the church in Charleston or the school in Newton? Where were you when Sandra Bland died in a jail cell? When we feel God's presence as so close to us, it is difficult not to ask why God doesn't seem to do more. I think today's story of Lazarus speaks directly to this question. You see, Jesus didn't do it all. Jesus called to Lazarus, called him to come out of the tomb. But in order for Lazarus to leave behind the trappings of death, the people had to get involved. The community had to get involved. Jesus turns to the crowd and gives them instructions. He says, unbind him and let him go. You want him to be free from death? Then you do it. You unbind him. You get right up there where the stench of that corpse is awful and reach out your own hands. You grab a hold of those grave cloths and take them off. And this has not changed in 2,000 years. Jesus still says, you do it. Jesus calls us into new life. Jesus calls us to leave the grave behind. But when it comes to reaching out to those people emerging from death in all death's many guises, Jesus involves us. The quote on your bulletin cover has been floating around the internet for some time now. Sometimes I want to ask God why he allows poverty, famine, and injustice in the world when God could do something about it. But I'm afraid God might ask me the same question. God involves us in God's work. God calls us to be God's hands in the world. God calls us to unbind those who are held in the grip of death in whatever form it presents itself. It isn't difficult to look around us and see grave cloths binding people, people who long to be set free. 
We see people bound by the grave cloths of poverty and hunger. We see people bound by the grave cloth of sexu uh, sexual trafficking or human trafficking, which folks heard about in our adult forum this morning. We see people bound by the grave cloths of racism. We see people bound by the grave cloths of addiction. And Jesus turns to us and says, you unbind them. Without faith, we might think we are just on our own in this. Without faith, we might think that God is not part of this picture. But Martha's faith changes how she understands the events taking place around her, and our faith shapes how we understand the events taking place around us. Martha questions Jesus, even challenges him, but she does it in the context of faith. Her faith looks something like this. She expresses confidence that he is the one who could have saved her brother. She expresses faith that even now, Jesus can still make a difference. She says, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. The conversation continues. Jesus says that he is the resurrection, and Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe. But I think we see Martha's faith held together in a package that includes her skepticism. And isn't that often true for us, too? Martha makes these powerful statements of her trust in Jesus, of her faith. But then comes the moment when Jesus says, Take away the stone from the tomb. And Martha says, Are you kidding me? That corpse stinks. So Jesus gives her a nudge reminds her again of her faith. Jesus says, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? We know the saying, you have to see it to believe it, but the flip side of it is also true. You have to believe it to see it. What we believe shapes what we are able to see. Our worldview and our assumptions shape what we are able to see. I think this is what Jesus is saying to the skeptical Martha. She sees a stinking corpse, but Jesus says that if she believes, she'll see the glory of God. And it is that reminder that moves the community into action. It seems that those words give them enough hope to at least try. First, Martha balks at opening the tomb, but Jesus reminds them again of their faith and they do roll away that stone from the tomb where Lazarus is buried. Henry Nouwen is a Christian writer who said that every person he encountered was Christ incognito. The days of Jesus' earthly life some 2,000 years ago came to an end, but the resurrected Christ lives on, disguised as any person you might meet. But you have to believe it to see it. You have to believe Jesus when he said that just as you visit those who are sick or those who are in prison, you are visiting Jesus himself. If you don't believe what Jesus told us, you will not see Jesus in the faces of the sick you visit or the people you greet on Sunday morning or the ones you bump into at work. You have to believe it to see it. And when we do believe, we see God at work all around us. 
We see Christ in the faces of everyone we meet. We see God at work in the hands of everyone who rolls away the tombstones of this world, in the hands of everyone who reaches out to unbind the ones who are in the death grip of poverty or hunger or addiction. And when we believe, we don't just see God at work all around us. When we believe, we hear God's call to be a part of that work. We become willing to roll away a tombstone. We become willing to reach out and unbind those who are bound. God brings the new life, even when all we see is a smelly corpse. But God also involves us as co-workers. The God who is so close to us, so present in our lives and in the world, has chosen to work closely alongside us, involving us in God's own work. Christ tells us, you do it. You remove those bindings, those shrouds of death. Wherever we see people oppressed by the grave cloths of this world, Jesus calls to us to unbind them. So let's do it. Let's say our resounding yes to the full and free life God offers us and the yes to our power to share that freedom of new life to those who need it. Amen.